January 1st is the busiest day of the year on dating apps. Singles are signing up, working on their profiles, and telling themselves that this is it. This is the year they finally find love. But while you're busy thinking about your profile photos or coming up with a clever bio, you can work on something even more important, yourself. What do you need to know about yourself before you can have a good relationship with someone else? Let's ask Chantel Dyson, a dating coach based in the UK. She's the absolute perfect person to ask because her approach to dating is so different than any other dating coach I know of, and I'm so thrilled to be able to share my conversation with her with you. This is the Spinster Life Podcast, the podcast that will never leave you on red. I am here with Chantel Dyson. She is a love and life coach who works with singles to give them their best chance at finding a good balance between their dating life and their single life. Thank you so much for being here, Chantel. Thank you for having me on. It's exciting to be here. Yeah, this is actually my first podcast episode about dating. So thank you so much. We've been in real thick spinster territory here. So it is nice to recognize this element of singles lives because dating is a big part of singles lives. I think it, it is so. I've tended towards the same as yourself at times where there is definitely a requirement for needing not to date. And we'll get onto why behind that, I'm sure, as we go through this interview. But it's definitely also very much a part of it because there comes a point when you decide that you want to do it, or maybe you've always been feeling like that, but you knew that you needed to get stuff sorted first. And I think taking the time out and embracing yourself, learning how to really be on your own and enjoy it is going to be beneficial in the long term to then actually allow you to date effectively. You'll make mistakes anyway, but let's try to avoid making as many mistakes as we might when we're learning how to date, which is what we're doing. Absolutely. So please tell us a little bit more about you, your coaching business, and how you got into the single lady space in the first place. Absolutely. So I wasn't a single lady for my entire adult lifehood until I got to the age of 26. So I was with my ex for seven years in total, with him for six, then we got married for one from the age of 19. And I've been with someone else before. So very much my adult life had been with other people. So then when I became divorced, it was a whole reset. I had to deconstruct the life I had created, which wasn't to me something I'd done intentionally. It was following that very clear trajectory that you get from when you grow up. It's the go to school, do well, go to uni, buy a house, find someone, settle down and continue that path. And it's not bad to do that if it works for you. But there was something inside of me that definitely was saying this isn't right. So I didn't know what was right, but I had to get out of that situation. And then it was navigating that. And I noticed that there was a big pang for me in terms of loneliness, which I started to explore as this element of belonging. And I felt like I could see and hear that single women, and maybe all single people in general, liked to associate the idea that they wouldn't feel lonely if they had a partner. And I felt that this can't be the only way for people in life to be okay again, because that's going to be hard work if it is. It's difficult to find the right people for you. So why would we put such high stakes on something like that? So I explored the friendship area. And that's where I came up with the single girls club, where I host events for single women to find other single women to be friends with. Got a few locations in the UK. And then I support that through an online community otherwise. And then the coaching programs now work on single life confidence and newly this year dating, because it does need that sort of transition. I think connection is the answer to everything whether it's connection to yourself, to others, and then taking that deeper in terms of a relationship, the connection just goes in a slightly different way. There's a definitive difference between a relationship and a friendship. They can be quite similar, 
but we don't give them the same status. We do not give them the same status, even though they do hold equal importance in your life. All of these areas of relationship, your relationship with yourself, your friendships, your family, and then your romantic relationships, for lack of a better word, they were all equally important. But we are so conditioned to put that romantic relationship first. It very automatically, you want to be someone's number one. And it's that feeling of specialness. In dating or relationships, it seems like it's okay to text someone every day. Uh, it's a, a thing that I would expect within a romantic relationship. But then when I float that with people, with their friends, when I'm talking about the actual knowledge behind how many hours it takes to make a friend and how that was very easy at school because you spent so much time together, I think it's something like 100 to 150 hours of an intense time at the start. Like it's not 150 hours over 10 years. That's not going to be enough. It's sort of in the first three months or so around that. But then when I talk to people about it, they feel apprehensive to message someone as much as that. Isn't that too much? Well, it was okay when you were thinking about doing it with that that guy you liked off of that app, but it's not okay with that person that you're trying to form a friendship with and you want yeah. to get to seeing them once a week at a club. We all need just a real attitude shift, perception shift around friendships. And I, you know what I really like about your story as well is I think what you went through is really, really common of being in a relationship and having that be a really important thing when you're in your 20s and we're in those like really formative early adult years and then learning more about yourself and coming out closer to your 30s, closer to when you really know yourself a lot better and then looking around and being like, okay, what now? Who am I without a romantic partner? And that's another interesting bit that my brother almost hadn't seen me in that state either. And his phrase was, but Sean, you're better in a relationship. And I was like, mm, I don't love that comment. It's not really helpful to me right now. But at the same time, when have you seen me not in a relationship? So I understand where you're, where that's coming from, why you're saying it. But at the same time, you don't know me any other way. And I don't know myself any other way. So I don't think that's the route for us to be pushing for right now is to get ourselves straight back into a relationship because it's one of the things that happens when you're divorced one of the earliest things people said to me was, will you get married again? I'm like, I don't even, I think that, that's something I shouldn't even think about right now. And I think my answer should be no, no matter what at this point in time. And then, you know, give me a year, two years, three years to work this out. Like I was separated, not even divorced when questions like that would come up. So it's really interesting how quickly people want to get you back on that train, really. That is absolutely insane. <laughs> give it a second. Give it some room. It's yeah. a transition period. And I guess that is the way that we think about once you're a married lady, you've transitioned into being a married lady. You've checked that box. You've graduated into that level. So you wouldn't want to step back into being a single lady because that's seen as step back. Yeah. And you're really trying to change the perception of that with your work. So let's talk a little bit about what single people should be thinking about in regards to preparing themselves to going out and dating? What do you think that single people need to have lined up in themselves and their friendships and their support systems before they tackle dating so that they can have the best success and the best time when they're dating? There are lots of things that uh, anybody needs before they start tackling dating. I think the first thing to really focus on is your awareness of yourself. And I don't mean that in a, a very superficial way. I mean that in a really, really deep way. Like you are going to be interacting with someone in a very intimate way, in a way that you should be able to share absolutely everything about yourself and not feel shame. And that does come from a reciprocated point of view from them. But there is this sense that you do need to know your blind spots and to be able to 
share that with someone in a vulnerable way and communicate at the right time. Let's not overshare on the first date because that's a classic. Let's tell my life story and all the horrid things that have happened. But it is understanding what it is that makes you you, the good and the bad, but also having a really clear line about what you see for the future because the challenge that we can come across in dating is once you start to date and you think you find someone that you like, suddenly they say something like, well, I don't want kids and you've always wanted children. And sometimes people start to compromise on that thing that they wanted because in front of them, there's this person saying, but I don't want to. And someone on the left of you is saying, oh, don't worry, get with them and they'll change their mind in the future, which is a little bit presumptuous to be making because what if they don't and you're saying yes to going along with this? And the other person's going, well, do you really want kids anyway? And you start to potentially lose yourself, what you wanted, and you lose the intention just for the sake of, oh, well, someone's interested in me. And what if I don't find anyone better? And what if this is the only opportunity? And you might look at it that way and go, well, it doesn't matter for two years. But after that, I'm going to need to find someone that does want children. It depends how you view relationships. Being open to the different types, I think, is very important if that's for you. But yeah, I think the very first thing is knowing what you want and what you value and who you are so that you can go in and not compromise too far. I think that's such great advice. I know that I did that in my 20s, trying to contort myself into being what I thought the guy wanted based on hints they were dropping. And funnily enough, that never led to a relationship. Yeah, because it's ultimately not the thing that you want. And you either end up feeling compromised or they realize that you're saying one thing but mean another or you're saying something. It's that idea of the cool girl syndrome of when you act cool when they say something that's not really what you were thinking, but oh, okay, you want to take this slower than I wanted to. And no worries. Yeah, we won't live together for five years. It's not a problem. And in actual fact, you do know that you want to live with someone, but you're holding back because you don't want to appear like you're rushing or that your intentions are too much for someone else. And that's when we get ourselves into trouble. The cool girl, the cool girl is the girl girl that I tried so much to be. And I'm glad that she is gone out of style because she is actually not that cool because she is never true to herself, that cool girl. No, the cool girl is too laid back. And inside all of us, we should have a non-cool girl, like a really, I want something girl and I'm going to go out there and get it, but make sure it's the right thing, not force someone to do it just because I want it and not just say yes, because. There's nothing uncool about saying what you actually want. And I think for so long for women, it was just not cool. It wasn't cool to, to want things. You were just supposed to be this like passive object that let experiences and men and relationships come to you instead of going out and getting it. Yeah, there is an element of letting their energy also be matched in letting things go forward. I'm actually seeing someone at the moment and we were looking back at some old messages earlier and there was a bit where I was like, oh, look at me not replying the next day and waiting for you to message me. I don't like the concept of playing games. If you suddenly start to feel like you're playing games with someone, then you're in dangerous territory. And I said to them, I said, I think I was trying to protect myself from not rushing too fast. So I was purposefully saying goodnight at whatever time we were saying goodnight, 10, 11 o'clock. And then I was waiting to see what energy you were putting forward so that I didn't get carried away and stressed about messaging and not hearing from you or pushing it too far. I had to let him come to me in that sense. Right. You could identify why you were waiting for him to text you Mm. first. So you didn't get your hopes up. It, It was a protective measure. But I think a lot of that game playing that comes from these either written or unwritten rules about dating and about being the cool girl and about not appearing desperate. Everyone has been guilty of this at some point. If you can recognize those things within yourself, if you know yourself well, you're not going to be playing 
these games or you're going to be able to identify when someone else is playing games and be able to say something to them like, um, I'm not sure why this is the way it is. Let's talk about it openly. And if they can't talk about that openly, then they're probably just not the right person for you. Yeah. If you can't talk to someone openly and honestly from the start, and obviously I've gone through that element of divorce, which some people would be completely switched off by. Now, it's not in my dating profile. It's not something I feel that people need to know on the very first thing, but it will come up naturally in the first, second or third meet. Because someone goes, when was your last relationship? That can come up quite naturally. I think there's a difference when you have children. I think some people still feel the same, but again, I think it needs to come up early because children's one of those definitive things that someone's not just dating you, they're dating you with children. If that's the scenario that you find yourself, or you're dating a man that, that hasn't told you, and then it turns out there's one, two or three children that you're going to have to then be, would probably be a step parent to at some point later down the line. Is that something you want or not? If you don't mention it, then it takes your right away from that. Whereas the kind of divorce and marital state is a little bit different. Your <laughs> children are an ongoing thing in your mm. relationship and your divorce. That is in the past, it still informs your present and future, but it, it you've worked through a lot of it. You're not bringing that baggage through into this relationship and not that children are baggage, but they're just people that are going to be around. They are part of the relationship. Yeah, it's extra. Like, well, I don't have my own children, but it's this idea around do you date people with or without? And when do you bring things up? And people are, f- are worried about the judgment. Well, if someone's going to judge you for having kids or judge you for having been married <laughs> yeah. before then they aren't the right person for you. And it comes back to that what you were saying about communication and being open and honest. Anything that you can't say to someone, unless you've done something really bad that's illegal and you just get away with it, you know, and nothing <laughs> as serious as that. We're just talking about the normal stuff in life. Then, yeah, they're not, the, not going to be the right person if they can't hold on to that. And if you can portray some of the negatives that you have about yourself and they freak out about that, especially with like anxious attachment style, just the classic needy, neediness which is the opposite of the cool girl and they freak out at that then they're not going to be a great candidate for supporting you through whilst that is partially your responsibility they still need to be playing a part in not purposefully triggering some of those things or just being like this is what i do and i can't give you some reassurance or meet you somewhere in the middle that's what we're looking for in a relationship some sort of compromise on certain things you're never going to get everything 100 percent, but they can't also be giving zero percent either yeah I, that, yes, that is, I think that's another huge thing that, that you need to check in with yourself as a single. Are you emotionally available? Can you give of yourself? Can you give to other people as well? Because in a relationship, it's more than just you, but it's learning where the balance is of when are you not more important, but when do your, do your needs need more attention than the other person's needs? And how do they play off against one another? And everything is a balance and everything is a choice. So how much is the way that they feel a responsibility of yours? How much is the way you feel a responsibility of theirs? And how can you show up in the best ways possible? Because relationships are hard. I think that's one of the biggest things that single people forget because single life is so free and there is little conflict. Unless you've got a high conflict family or friends that aren't all that, then your life's pretty stress-free. And when you get into a relationship, I don't know if people forget that the best ones require work and growth. And that means that they're not always perfect by any means, but it does mean that there's like a whole other person that you have to consider and that might be having a bad day and that your life will partially revolve around. And there's just a lot of work in relationships, the good ones and the ones that want to do well in and the things that we're looking for, like growth, it's not going to be plain sailing and it's two people coming together. You've got to have time for it. Single people forget 
that. There is more to relationships <laughs> than the fun stuff, than holding hands and going on dates and picking out plates from Crate and Barrel. There's more to a relationship than that. Remind yourself as a single person that there are great things about being single. And there are bad things about being single, just like there are great things about being in a relationship and bad things about being in a relationship. I think one of the biggest things for me is always that neither is better than the other. There's always a trade-off. The other day for the first time, I had to change a plan that I had with the person I'm seeing because I had something else come up and I really needed to go to that more than I needed to see them. It was that whole like having to text and be like, hey, is it okay? Like, this is what I really like to do because I'm not going to see these people otherwise or it'd be quite nice to do this. And they were like, yeah, sure but it's like when I was single I didn't have to check that because my diary wasn't half as busy um, right, I didn't have right. those already in I've just had I was had nothing on most evenings because I was waiting for the last minute things as opposed to having these potentially structured times where you're like oh goodness right <laughs> now I've got to check in you didn't have to factor anyone else's feelings into making those kind of decisions when you're single you can prioritize your own needs and when you're in a relationship you cannot prioritize your own needs 100% of the time. Definitely. It's, it is all trade-offs. And yes, I, it means I now have someone that I could go to probably at the drop of a hat and they would be there. But then there's this element as well that things aren't forever. Yes, I happen to be in a relationship now, but for all I know, in six months' time, that whole scenario could have changed for like a whole ton of reasons. Me, them, the yeah. world, and like unfortunate circumstances, whatever. And we right. get into this thing of thinking that that means I'm set up for life, that I'm done. Everyone starts to think of, oh, this is all just going to trajectory through. Like yeah. you're going to move in together at some point, then you'll get married again. And I'm like, whoa. And it doesn't have to be that way. It might be that way. It might not ever get that. Who knows? Like let's right. stop forward projecting our lives and just be like, well, that's what it is for now. We should normalize relationships, having an endpoint and reaching that endpoint and it not being a tragic thing or a thing that like there's a lot of anger around. It's just like the natural termination point of the relationship. You wish each other well. To not view that as a failure and to just view that as a life experience that you've had along yeah. the way. And it was great. And that person added to your life and until they didn't anymore, until the relationship had run its course. That's exactly how I look at my marriage in particular. People could go, well, you got married. Were they not the one? Firstly, I debunk the idea that where there is the concept of the one. Many ones I agree with, but not the one. Uh, maybe the right one for a right set period of time, but yeah, not for forever. I think forever is a dangerous word, but yeah, it reminds me of Rosie Wilby in the breakup one. She talks about the fact that she believes or she theorizes that people will have multiple long-term relationships in their lives as opposed to having one person that you marry in your 20s and you're with till you're seven. We live so much longer now. I don't know how many years we need to go back before average age of death was like 40 or 50. It was very easy to think, well, I do need to get married in my 20s then because I've got yeah. 20 years to have children, raise them. And back in the day, you were having children not because you wanted to raise two little children. You were raising children and having more of them because there was more threat of them dying when they were younger. So you would have eight kids in the hope that half of them would survive sometimes. So there were loads of different reasons that people were doing children, family and marriage in a different way to the way we do now. But we still hold on to the romantic elements, which has only really been recent anyway. Most of marriage before was all about financial gain and status, where yes. marrying for love is new, but we hold on to it like so dearly. When it, What is the issue with saying, this is who I was with in my 20s? This is who I'm with in my 30s. This is who I'm with in my 40s. Difficult if you want children because they're a, a running through. Yeah. No, that's, it does 
thing. It does complicate uh, things. And property acquisition, at least in the US, and I'm sure in the UK, is very geared towards being a couple specific mm -hmm. kind of thing. And yes, once you combine those assets, it's really, really difficult to separate them. So it does the make- The only knowledge I have was the US is sister wives and it seems like they worked it out okay. <laughs> but um, <laughs> And that's a complex situation, but yeah. That is a complex here, situation. You know, it, but yeah, the hard. <laughs> divorces and, and, you know, trying to turn to divorce settlements and trying to split up your assets. That's yeah. a difficult thing. So it doesn't incentivize people to to just admit that this relationship has run its course and it doesn't make mm. it easy for them to then dissolve that relationship and they're staying in it and they're just getting resentful and angry and carrying all of this like grudge and toxic baggage around that they bring into their next relationship. And if we looked at it differently and we made it easier for people to separate or keep their assets separate and still grow their wealth and feel secure, imagine how much less drama there would be. And I also think it's exceedingly romantic notion that you can have that right relationship, that right person for you at the right time in your life. It doesn't have to be the one person. Yeah. Like you want different things at different times and you're entitled to change as a person and you don't know why that will happen. Um, and yeah, I don't, I just look at the person I was with before as being the right for them. And whilst I don't actually interact with them anymore because they didn't want to keep in touch, which is entirely their choice. I don't dislike them as a person. I don't think they're a horrible person. I just think it ran its course. And then whoever, I, uh, the person that I'm with now, it's totally different because I have a lot of experience. I think because I'm a teacher as well, and I've shifted from teaching maths to teaching what we call PSHE, which is physical, social and health education, which includes relationships. It's really interesting to understand and really acknowledge what we do get taught about relationships and domestic violence, to be careful, and sex ed. But the real learning is done once you're in the real world and dating. Even as a teenager, they're learning how to do it then. But you learn as you go. There is no, I mean, there are some online courses you can do and obviously coaching teaches you and things like that. But there's no official class that everyone goes through to know how to date. Yet yeah, we'll be in a relationship. Yet we all think that we're super capable of it and that we're all entitled to it because that's life. And that's just a relationship. Like for anyone listening to think about is what actually makes you qualified to be in a relationship? Do you, have you done enough work in general to manage this and what, you know, and I don't think I had this when I got married, but what makes a marriage? Like, how are you defining that? What things need to go into it? And I think it applies for relationships as much as it does official marriage terminology. I just think we haven't really acknowledged that everything else we need that experience for or that we need qualifications to actually be able to do or be allowed to do stuff yet. Yeah relationships it's just free reign for everyone you're allowed to do it here there and everywhere and yeah. <laughs> we haven't we don't necessarily know all about it our sources of learning for relationships are our parents or the adults in our lives when we're children is television movies which are some of the worst portrayals of relationships especially if you're like me and you grew up watching the disney movies and the romantic comedies of the 90s they were yeah. fucked up their version of relationships was like just it was toxic it was a lot of that like just pursue her until she says yes kind of thing woman you don't see it yet but i'm the man for you and i'll prove it so much awful stuff that we saw and was normalized into like yep and that's what a relationship looks like and there's your diploma now that you've gone through the school of, of rom-com to figure out what relationships are you see it in the children even now so for example, the teenagers that I've come across at times do believe it's right to 
be able to go down someone's phone at the drop of a hat. And they do believe that it's normal to to know where someone is at all times, to be in contact quite a lot. And that's at the age of 15, 16, that they've already established that that's what they think is normal because of what they've seen, because of what gets spoken about and because of probably what they've learned from sisters, brothers, or as you say, parents. And, and this idea, when in actual fact, I think that's the difficulty. I, was, I think about this myself sometimes when I, if I do ever get stressed about not hearing back from someone, I'm like, this wouldn't have been a problem 50 years ago because we all had <laughs> landlines and you weren't allowed, you couldn't physically keep in touch with anyone. The only way was to go, I'm going to phone you at this time and you had to hope yeah. they were going to call and you'd sat, sit by the phone and wait, apparently, according to what my like, mum has told me. Um, <laughs> but now because of the availability of phones, you're able to get in touch more easily and you expect it. But yeah, it's, it, it is that thing that people feeling like they need constant reassurance and attention. That's again where it comes back to knowing yourself and being able to get the balance of when do I really need a sh- reassurance and when do I need to sort my shit out to make sure that I'm not the problem here because sometimes I am the problem. And it doesn't make you a bad person to be the problem. It just no, means that, no, no. hey, there's, here's one more thing that you need to maybe take a look at. Well, my anxious attachment style would be what the thing is demonized as that neediness that I've already mentioned. Like, you're so needy. It could be a phrase that people get and that like, 20% of the population have that attachment style. Okay, I am. But then it also comes with the flip side of because because you like closeness and you encourage that, you think of that person a lot and you do get a lot of the repercussions of that. So that person is usually going to go the extra mile for someone, is going to think of them and text them ahead of their job interview, ahead of their day and keep in touch quite a lot. And that other person gets the receiving end of being thought of being accounted for and not being forgotten so yeah okay you are going to need to reciprocate and be there for me back but at the same time you get this positive energy and all the things that it means that comes with that is it that bad of a thing and on the flip side to give some balance to the conversation anyone with, a, with an avoidant attachment which i obviously find infuriating because they directly oppose one another but at the same time those that have more of an avoidant tendency are very good at maintaining their own independence and whilst it may sometimes go too far that does remind someone like myself, like you do need space and you should have time to yourself and you don't need to be with someone 24 seven. And I would have thought a number of people listening will be sitting there going, oh yeah, I know that. And I forget that all the time. <laughs> and I just, just need someone to tell me that sometimes and avoidant and anxious together. Sometimes it's too far in each extreme, but if they can come together, like they can both remind each other of really good things as much as it triggers something inside each of them. Yeah. That is a very good point. I think that in recent years, we've gravitated towards you need to find your soulmate, meaning someone who is so like you. But there is something to be said about finding someone or getting into a relationship with someone that compliments you or challenges you or isn't exactly like you in every single way. There is so much value in in that you have to have some crossover because you have to have that common ground of Some of the things that you want need to cross over. Some of the things that you like need to be able to give you some conversation. But then, yeah, you don't want to be identical in the way that you are because you need some resistance to work out how conflict works between you and can you manage conflict. An issue that me and my ex had was that we never argued and we used to see that as a good thing. In hindsight, I see that as quite a bad thing because I was very indifferent. That's always the word that I use. Like I just, I was like, meh. And I think it's better to be able to care and create conflict where necessary, but manage it effectively and know how to argue well. Something else that we're not taught is how to argue. No, uh, and not. to actually, because there's so many shouting matches. And again, that's seen deemed EastEnders, or you won't necessarily have that reference so much. But, you know, and that, a cat, 
casual soap where people are all at arms at one another is portrayed as normal when in actual fact that's not what we really want to be doing it isn't right to be hollering at each other and shouting down the streets it's about actually how do I feel and how can you help me get over that and how do you feel it's about understanding the other person's perspective and I think we sometimes overlook that entirely in any relationship any connection it's all about us rather than about both together and trying to yeah I think it's the Gottman Institute where they talk about do you turn inwards or do you turn outwards and you're always trying to you should always be trying to turn inwards towards one another not away from one another Mm -hmm. there's this really great essay by Gloria Steinem about the difference between Mm -hmm. love and romance and how we lump them together but they're completely different things that love is it is turning inward toward the relationship that is like that care that day-to-day kind of maintenance of the relationship and doing the work where romance is how you're experiencing the relationship in your head and romance is is fostered when it's like from afar like when you have a crush on someone that's a romance because you can imagine how this person is who they are and they can be this perfect complement to what you need and what you envision them to be but then if you were to be in a relationship with them and it turned into love, then it would be like you actually dealing with them and finding out that they're not perfect and having to like deal with that. It's just a, such a fascinating topic. You can be kind of too inwards in that relationship and you can be expecting too much of someone and not communicating yeah. it to them. I was definitely very guilty of this when I was dating, of just expecting them to know what they should do, how they should act, what I needed, instead of being realistic about it and that no one is a mind reader and that you need to work at this and you need to talk about this to make it work. So many good points like in what you said, because when you said about the difference between romance and love, I quickly did my own evaluation of what I thought you might say. So yeah, romance is, to me, it's that giddiness sometimes and it goes along with what you're saying, looking from afar. And that sometimes obsession that it falls into as well. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And the feeding of the ego of like, oh, my God, if I was with them, everything would be perfect. Whereas I, the way that I phrased love in my mind was like love is a choice, which obviously comes down to those daily things. There is a distinct difference. And you do have to see the ugly parts of someone. They don't have to be like hugely ugly, but there are going to be things that you don't like about them. And it is I'm at that five, six month point where we're going to start to see more of those things because everything's been like slowly going down in like terms of letting people in and sewing it so there's going to be more of that being uncovered in this next section and you're kind of like oh what's going to be coming up can i am i going to still be able to make that choice to keep like loving towards this person but it is it is a case of the, the difference between the two but then as you say communicating about it we do just presume that people know how to love us when there are so many different ways and i think love languages are really key to that those sort of five love languages of i know mine is words of affirmation mixed with quality time and that to me is always communicated like if the times get changed it's a problem and it doesn't matter how like how much warning we need to have made that up somewhere else and and not reassurance <laughs> of like i love you so much i think that's got a time and a place but just hearing like did they enjoy the day or what did that mean to them when xyz happened just hearing that expression in terms of words and yet again knowing yourself but then also knowing how that translates into another person. So your love language might not be the way that someone else receives love in the best way. And I think it was Jay Shetty that I first heard say, it's your job to work out what someone else's love language is so that you can love them in the right way and love them in a way that speaks to them. So if someone is single and they're still working on this, what is a way that they can check in with themselves to at least identify like their own love language so that they can maybe 
tell a partner or ask a partner or just make it more clear in their mind? In terms of working out your love language, there is a quiz online. It's not mine, but you can look that up. But if you actually had to do it objectively and like observe your own behavior, try to do that. I would start to look at what you do for other people around you. So do you default to buying gifts or do you default to arranging time for someone? So straight away, you've got a conflict between gifts and time. And that's the way that you're showing up for other people. But then in reverse, try and think of the moments where you feel like someone did something special for you and whatever that is and which ones stick out. So was it when someone came around when you were going through a breakup, which sounds like a acts of service coming around at a time when they needed you slash a bit of quality time as well or was it when someone did your shopping for you when you were ill that's very much an act of service versus was it when someone came around and gave you a hug that you really needed and that's then your physical touch coming in which of those moments really stands out for you and that probably is the thing that means the most to you because they're the ones that stand out whereas I will overlook sometimes acts of service because it's not so high up but I'll remember the time that someone said, oh, yeah, I'll come around today or, oh, my God, I got to spend that time with that person. I think it's what you hold on to and what you remember most that sometimes can get you clear on what your love language is. But observing someone else's is interesting. You almost have to do them all and see how they respond to each of them. And hopefully they'll tell you. So my partner very much is like physical touch part. And that can just be when you're sat on the sofa as opposed to anything has to be in the bedroom. It's all to do with the little subtleties, actually, more than anything, I think, people with physical touch. It's all to do with when you touch them in the more unexpected ways, like grabbing their hand when you're out or just hugging them when they're cooking and things like that. But they've over time expressed that more and more how important that is. And they're going, I think that's what's most important to me. And they're having that realization as they're doing it per se. So you kind of learn on the job, but you can find it out from non-romantic relationship experiences as well. So I think we've got a good sense of how to be confident in yourself as a single person Mm -hmm. trying to get into dating. So what are the other elements that you need to develop before you can jump into the dating pool? Other than knowing yourself, it's definitely starting to work on two other areas that I tend to work with people on, which is community. It comes back to that idea that we hold only the romantic relationship as the one thing that's going to make us okay. And you've got to have some people that you know will be there, will be there when you're upset, will be there to celebrate with you. And it needs to be people that you genuinely feel a connection with. It isn't the school friend that's just there because they were the school friend that you met when you were eight and you feel bad now that you're 28 that you think you should just keep a relationship going with them because they've been there for 20 years. If they're not growing with you in the way that you are now, if they are well and truly settled down with kids and they can't understand your perspective and they're not helping when they make cliche comments like, you'll find someone when you stop looking or there's plenty other people just get on the date app. Like they're not actually listening. I'm sure you've communicated with them a hundred million times. <laughs> yes. It's just not, it doesn't work like that anymore. And if they can't hear that, then what is that person bringing to your life? It's being able to evaluate objectively what everyone brings to you and if they're still worthy of being there. So making sure you have people to talk to, which is where the idea around the single girls club came from because it offered people the chance to at least feel like they weren't on their own. So people are often right in the, group that we have online they'll express a poor dating experience they'll say how frustrating it is to be going to like six thousand weddings but not have a plus one to any of them yet everyone else with a couple automatically gets one even though they don't even know the bride or groom it's all of those little things that they can like vent about and you suddenly go i'm not the only one we just had the new year's eve getaway people were like i just it's nice not to be the only person that wasn't going to celebrate new year's eve otherwise and now i've spent it doing a having a great evening it's all about that community and i think that's what i was trying to offer there. And I know people have made friendships out of it. And that to me is the whole point. Having four or five 
different people that you bounce between and they should stay there and that should be a focus for you even when you're then in a relationship don't lose those just because someone yes. else along. A lot of married people or people in a relationship, they meet that person and they're crazy about them and all the like pheromones and hormones are going and they're really excited about this new relationship and then they forget about their friends or they neglect their friends. Really difficult, I think, the balance of that because you want to prioritize that person and then it, they have to become priority when you then start looking at your own like nuclear family, if that's something that you go and move into. But it is still having a balance, one, for yourself, because I know couples that have lost time for themselves as a couple, but also time for themselves individually because they're so busy being mom or dad and then they've lost their whole sense of friendship. And so that's what makes then leaving really hard because not only are you losing the marriage, potentially the house, maybe children if they're involved, when you go through a breakup again, you're then losing the one person that you had who was the person to talk to every day. You forgot, and I did this too, you forgot or didn't know how to maintain relationships with other people alongside having a relationship and that's one of the biggest lessons I learned and that's why I prioritize my friends I have regular meetings with certain ones and then I have other people that we don't meet up in person so much but we're in super regular contact every two days minimum and we'll be like where have you been if it's three or four days Um, (laughs) and you've just got those regularities that no matter what my relationship status is single or otherwise it doesn't change and I think that's interesting because obviously I've been dating for x number of months but my social media hasn't really changed. Like I'm still out going on adventures on my own. They're not the person that I'm putting and plastering over social media, one for privacy's sake, but two, they aren't my entire life. There's my business, there's supply work, there's all these other things that I do and yeah. friends. And it's not about our relationships should not be taken up like 80% of our lives. It's got to be like a good 20% and everything else is making up the rest. It doesn't have to be ever as much any more than 50%. When you're single, that when you're in a relationship, you still need to make room for yourself. Mm-hmm. And prioritizing it, like scheduling and making sure they do the same too, especially if you're dating yeah. someone oh. that's inclined to be like, oh, but come around. Like, no, you need a day on your own. Make sure you have right. some time. That's a good first date question, making sure that it's clear to everyone involved that like you like relationship time, but you also value your own time. And you want that for them too. You want them to have their own life and their own things going on and to to find what makes them happy and let them know that like you are not going to be able to to be their everything because no one can be anyone's everything. No. And in terms of like actual dating, you can literally say, what have you been up to this week? Or what do you do in your free time? So they're very open, general questions, and someone has a choice as to how they answer it. One, if anyone ever asks you that question, they are looking for you to tell them something interesting about your week, about what you do. So make sure you're always prepared for that. But also, this is their opportunity to tell you how their life is set up. And if they don't mention friends in what they did in the last week or two, or what they do regularly, then maybe that's not a priority. And obviously it takes a little bit more digging. Like, oh, do you hang out with anyone? You can prompt it even. Who do you see that isn't like who you live with? And they might be like, oh, I just go to work, come home, cook dinner. Oh, that's really interesting because I'm going to need someone that kind of has some connections to other people because I'm not going to, I'm not going to be your everything. And it's knowing how to spot that without reading into everything the whole time. You should also be paying attention to what people are, are telling you about themselves and being like, does that make sense? Is that what I want? Would I want to eventually live with someone maybe that is in all the time and doesn't go out so that means that I'm always going to be around them or do they or are they someone that 
plays football and therefore or soccer and therefore goes out training once or twice a week. So that's lovely. They have a hobby. They probably have a network of friends that are within that. And you know, okay, yeah, you might not approve of football that much. You don't have to be involved with it. You might support them here and there, but that's good. It's good because then you don't feel like you have to do it with them. Whereas if it was something you liked, you'd be inclined to join and then suddenly you're starting to merge your lives rather than keep some parts separate. And it's a yeah. good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. It's great to have shared hobbies, but it is also great mm-hmm. to have those places to go. I think too, if you're ever, if you're ever having a disagreement, that having those spaces where you can go, you can both do things that you like and then come back to the situation, to your argument with clear heads and having yes. done something that you both like. It's about knowing what you need, what you want to do and the balance of how much you want to be with someone versus how much you need to be on your own and always assessing that balance between it because it's easy to fall into one or the other way whether you're single or in a relationship it's easy to be too far in or too far out because sometimes I think singles would go I couldn't date because I'm so independent now and uh it's a (laughs) a cool choice to have but at the same time like how do you come back from that if you do start to get this like but I do want to date I don't I don't actually I enjoy being on my own now I'd like to try and get back into it I just don't know how I could accept someone like staying in my house for a day like that's, <laughs> like I'm having to compromise or like oh they're not going to allow me to sleep across the whole bed now like I've got to let someone sleep next to me so yeah it's starting to come back from that's so I think tough yeah I think that is hard I'm definitely not there yet in my singles journey so what is another area that as someone who may in the future want to date I should also be focused on building for myself so that I can date and not be resentful of something wanting to share the bed with me so it comes back to some of the stuff we've already spoken about but it's having the courage to just do things on your own but also do new things so it's making sure that your life is full regardless of your relationship status because this sounds obvious because of all the things we've spoken about but it's not because it fills your life it's because it shows that you don't need someone And there's some danger around that. Someone would say, well, what does a man get if you don't actually need a man? There's a bit of a question over like the strong independent woman, because apparently we're forcing men away when we present ourselves that way. And I can understand that. I think I've had the comment that I come across as intimidating. What they really mean is confident. It's fine. I'll forgive you. But it's... I I won't. So I can can carry a bit (laughs) of that rage for you. (laughs) It's just one of those where I'm I'm like, if that's what you think, then call. Again, I come back to then you're not the right person if you can't interpret this in the right way. But it is this element of the way that you go into dating. So if you are, if you have a life where you're doing adventurous things, you're busy, then you probably don't turn to dating too often or dating apps in the evening because you feel lonely, because you feel your life is less. You, When I turned to dating properly, which was all of last year, really, it was very intentional and there was no hang of I could find someone that it would all be better again or I really need someone for my life to be better prior to that there's definitely feelings of like belonging and ego coming in which that's why I think the courage part means that you have that that boldness to go and do stuff on your own it makes you interesting to have conversations to talk about in dating but there you don't show up in dating basically being a walking talking advert for I'm so helpless and needy. I need a man to make my life better. And that's when we find ourselves in the with the red flag guys because they feed off that. They're like, we know you need us. And that's why I'm going to play these silly games with you. I'm not going to be there properly. I'm not going to commit. This is going to be a situationship because you basically told me you have n- no other, you just want this. There's nothing else you've got going for you. I'm a great gap for that. And I'll fill that for you for three months, but I'm not going to give you more than that. And 
if you can go in and know your life's full, then you're the one to step away when someone starts messing you about and you don't worry so much about that in terms of saying, I've got to let this person go. Whereas when you're like, ah, what does this mean? My, like they make my life better. You're like, you don't want to let it go. And so then you hold on to something that's not right for you. Yeah. This is where our messages converge. That yeah. I, I mean, we're definitely approaching it from different ways that you're saying, like, this is a way to date and not drive yourself insane. And I'm saying this is a way to be single and not drive yourself insane and not think about all of the things that you're missing in your life to just live your life. That's I think that's really what it boils down to is to just be able to live your life, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're dating someone new that, you know, you you have what you need and you're going after what you need. Whoever else is there is irrelevant because you have the tools to make your own happiness. It's not dependent on another person. No, it is very much having that responsibility. And it doesn't mean that you're completely independent. I will call my dad if I need help with particular things around the house. It, right. you know, I have resources that allow me to be okay. You know, I will give everything a shot once, like putting stuff up on the wall, trying to fix <laughs> the plumbing. But if, if you're not that way inclined, then have a list of services that you're going to call and, and develop that over time. But you having a man in your life is not going to change that person. Yes, they might do it, but ultimately you can do that without having that person there. And yeah, I, if they're there, they can fill it later, but like you can still do it without them. So I had a, like a tire that was running a little bit low and I was seeing this yep. guy and I picked him up and I was like, huh, I'm going to pull over. I'm going to put air in this tire. And not that I was depending on this person for doing quote unquote man things. I actually, I did not even ask him to do this. And he's like, oh, oh, well, I'll do it for you you know, because I'm a man and I do tough stuff. And I didn't fight him on it. And I should have because he overinflated the tire like twice, twice as much as it should have been. And that's not a thing that I would have done because I have a tire gauge. I know what PSI it should be at. And he just like <laughs> that thing up. And, and I still have problems with that tire to this day. I still have a reminder that like, not just any man is going to do quote unquote man things. I can do them or I can ask someone or I can go to a professional, but you don't just need a man to stand in to do man things because there's a good chance that they don't know either and they're just going to fuck it up. No, exactly. I mean, there is this psychological sort of, I don't know if it's a phenomenon or if it's proven and I haven't read it, but a lot of other dating kind of gurus, as it might be, talk about this element of the hero instinct. Oh, yeah. Men will respond positively if they feel like they're saving you. So actually, in your car scenario, I would have probably encouraged you to let him fill the tire up because he feels like he's got a purpose within that. And it's something that, again, I've read on quite a lot of sort of red pill content or, or watched on TikTok, which is because women are so independent, it's it sort of is questioning the, the role of a male in a relationship and a household because a woman can and has shown particularly through divorce, for example, that they're able to live because they have their own jobs now. They have their own incomes. They can make shit happen. So what role does this male, maybe father or husband role have if we've taken away some of the things that like used to be theirs? You know, don't make them do everything to make them feel great. But there is right. this balance of what purpose does this person serve in your relationship? And it doesn't have to be the female male roles as it traditionally has been. But what does this person do to show up in your life? And can you communicate what you get from them and the value that they bring to your life? I think that's important maybe to do there. But also to point out that it is not our job as women in hetero relationships to make men feel traditionally manly or to make them feel like they have a purpose to be able to say, like, here are the things that you could do for me that would make me feel taken care of. And for that man to be able to say, 
okay, yeah, I can do that, or I know how to do that, or I'll learn how to do that for you, would probably be a good compromise on that of them still feeling useful. Because I get it, I think we all want to feel useful in some way. We all want to feel like we have a purpose and that we have something to give to people. I don't think that's just a male thing either, just a man thing or a toxic masculinity thing. We all want yeah. that for a man to be in touch enough to be able to talk about that, to talk about what they need in that way of how they need to be useful and for you to be able to identify areas where, yeah, maybe you could let go a little bit and step away and let someone else take over or even identify things that you really hate doing and maybe identifying that balance of labor that way. I don't really want to feel responsible for like playing a game and making a man feel useful. Exactly. Yeah, it's about valuing the person for what they can genuinely offer. Like I am a terrible cleaner of the kitchen. Like it doesn't matter what you tell me to do. My version of it being clean, it will still have been clean, but don't look that clean to someone that is very good at cleaning. And it's really interesting in this dynamic that, my boyfriend, as it were, would clean that better than I do because I just, it, I look at it and I go, well, that is clean. And he's like, well, no, it isn't. Let me clean it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there is a big difference, isn't there? Like, and so that's something that he naturally wants to do in this space. This is my house. So I couldn't care less if it stays the way I do it. But if he wants to stand and do it, then do it. And I will be thankful for it. I'll be like, oh, thanks, because I can never make it look like that. But I won't go out of my way per se to, come up with some random thing like oh god I'm so helpless please clean the kitchen because I'm just so like I've purposely left it really untidy for you it's just where it's naturally fitting in of I'm not great go for it and he loves doing the dishes too but then I'm better at little surprises and things like that or like making sure the dinner's cooked for when he gets back on the time because he works a lot later than I do it so it's that dynamic and that would feel like a maybe that's a really traditional role when we first started out he was cooking because he was showing me the kind of diet he has. Now it's like, well, hang on, you don't get home till six and I get in at three. So why would I not just cook so that we right. gain some more time? Right. practical. It's not because I'm the woman that I'm cooking. To me, that does sound like you've worked it out. You've had conversations yeah. around it. You've identified it. You've negotiated it a little bit, maybe. And not just like mm. this, because a lot of that advice about making a man feel like a hero, it is a little bit manipulative in the way that yes. some experts will tell you to do it. The advice that they give, it's more like training a dog than it is dealing with a person. And I love dogs. I love dogs so much, but... I recognize that dogs and people are not the same. And like the, the <laughs> yeah. thing about dogs is that you do have to like show them and reinforce. And with a person, you can do that verbally. You don't have to like give them a treat when they do the dishes or something like that. You can say, it makes me feel valued and it makes me feel safe. You don't have to manipulate to get what you want in a relationship. I think that's so important to bring up because there are so many gimmicks online. Like the, the no contact rule, for example, is a great rule if you need to get over a guy. I don't love it when we're trying to use it to get someone back, like get him running back to you and chasing you by not being in no contact because that still leaves you in this mental, emotional state of believing that they're going to come back because you're trying this out there sort of method to get them back. And while yeah. some of them do caveat it with the right things, which is hopefully because you've done no contact for three to four to five weeks, you'll realize that you don't need them anymore. That should be the intention of the no contact rule. If it yeah. so happens that they do try and come back, then that's fine. But that's not what we, it, again, it's just how to market well and how to sell something well is to say, this will get him coming back to you because that's what people want to hear. Right. I'm a little bit more on the whole, I'll tell you what they're saying and where it's coming from, but you're going to get it straight from me in the sense of, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to try and get them chasing back because that's silly. 
And if you are, we're not going to play games on it. You're going to either be authentic and you're going to reach out to them and say, hey, I really want to see if we can make this work, but we're not going to wait like 10 million days and think he's going to come back and use this cat and mouse. Again, if you're playing games, you're in a dangerous territory, I think, because imagine the whole game playing thing and then you end up together and you don't know if they even really want to be with you. Is it because you manipulated them so well that they thought they should be i want someone to choose me yeah surely someone to want, want to, to be want there to be with me yeah yeah <laughs> not be there because i've used special language or made them miss me in some way i want right we want authenticity and genuine approaches to what there is and that is in from my perspective like being honest in your communication and you can practice all of the skills that you need in a relationship with your friends because setting boundaries is a big one that people are rubbish at but if you can set boundaries with your friends, you can set them in a relationship. And again, it's probably easiest to do in a relationship because it's allowed, it's allowed, it's normal. Whereas with our friends, right. it's like, but they're my friends. Right. And I would do, do anything for my friends. Yeah. And you won't bring stuff up because you don't want to rock the boat. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Fighting with your friends. I mean, it does. Like, it feels awful. It is something that you just naturally want to avoid because of how bad it feels. But there's going to be conflict in every relationship. And is it that you bury it and you just let it build and build and build under the surface until it's like this big seething mass and you just explode at each other or do you want to you know mm. get it get it out there and talk about it exactly so going with that approach everywhere is quite useful rather yeah. than just right playing games with so, whoever it is so there really is practice for relationships for a, a romantic partnership and it's called friendships and family relationships and and co-workers and and all in acquaintances and all these people that you interact with every day you can practice courage and doing your own thing because sometimes your friends do things and you're not really that into them to say well i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go to that movie with you because i don't really want to see it and i'm gonna go do this thing instead so pairing the courage with then knowing how you are in terms of your character of Knowing the bits that matter to you, we haven't, I didn't speak about values, but if you know your value system, you're going to operate in a particular way. And once you know the bits about yourself, what matters most to you, that's when you can then communicate effectively with your community. And like we just said, within the community, it's partially the practice for a relationship. Because the difference between a relationship that's romantic and your friendship is the sex and love part, but they're no different. You should be showing up regularly for your friends. You should be able to communicate how you feel honestly, like not going to the cinema or telling someone that their lateness is a problem. Sometimes I can let that go for myself there. Other times it's also just knowing that person and responding in the right way, but it's all the same stuff. Family is one of the hardest ones to set boundaries with, but they're good to practice with. And then it prepares you for that. And then it brings you back to courage, the courage to actually execute those things, the courage to do things on your own. But they're the three areas that you've got to be working on and thinking about. And I think reading about relationships as a last little tip is useful. So even though you're not in one yet, reading books around love, relationships, attachment styles, if that's interesting to you, identifying narcissism, if you want to keep away from that, things like that can be useful because they give you theory to come back to when you're in then a romantic relationship and it's being tested. But You can sit and read those books and think, oh, could I still practice that skill or that concept? Can I see that in the relationships around me? Can I practice it in just the ones you observe? Oh, gosh, I saw them. They were about to have an argument and I saw them de-escalate that or practicing those little bits with friends as well. But that's sort of a a little getaway, making sure you're listening to podcasts, YouTube videos, whatever it might be, that talk about how to do dating and relationships well so that when you're ready, you've just got ideas to come back to. Whether you do them all, read, learn, expand. And then 
once you're ready, do it in a very slow, steady way and move through that learning about what relationships are really about rather than what you thought they were all about. Thank you so much for all of that. I think you've given me a lot to think about as well. And I can definitely see myself transitioning back into dating. Thank you so much for being here. And please tell us where we can find you online. And if you have any events coming up that you would like us to know about. Absolutely. So online, you can always find me on Instagram and TikTok, which is at Chantel the Coach. And then you've also got the Chantel the Coach website for a variety of things. The Single Girls Club, as I've mentioned, is online. So you can find that in my link in bio at either of those social medias there. And you can join the online community. And that includes, we have sort of Zooms and live chats, a bit like the old MSM feature. And then within that, we have a book club too. So we're reading Untamed by Glennon Doyle this month, which would be January, but other books and books throughout the year in general. And then... Events-wise, we're mostly in the UK for live events. So we've got like a single on Valentine's Day event, which is in Essex. But there is an online version too, the day before. So the day before Valentine's Day is our upcoming event in terms of making sure that you're okay for Valentine's Day and that you've got the mental preparation in place because it's a tough day for us singles in general. So just making sure that you're not going to be alone for those that are doing the in-person one or so that you can mentally prepare and be okay on the day, even though you can't make it to the in-person thing. Those are all great events. You said you had your podcast too, right? I do, yeah. The podcast is The Single Girl's Guide to Life that comes out every Thursday. You can find that on all your top podcast players, whichever one you prefer. And this I'm a Spotify, but I know loads of people listen on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Excellent. So if you want to listen to content about relationships, you can listen to that podcast. It's been such a blast having you here. Thank Happy you dating, everybody. Hey, yes, everybody. Get out there and start dating when you're ready to. <laughs> when you are ready. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. If you want to support The Spinster Life, listen up. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or sign up for the Substack newsletter, spinsterlife.substack.com or follow us on Instagram at livingthespinsterlife. I'm also on YouTube. The channel handle is The Spinster Life. Thanks for listening.